You're listening to the Scottsdale Podcast, which features our Sunday sermons. If you would like to learn more about what God is doing in the life of Scottsdale Baptist Church, visit our website at scottsdale.org. Enjoy and be challenged by the word of the Lord. Good morning. Welcome to Scotts Hill. Those of you who are joining us online, thank you for inviting us into your home. And we have a packed house again, Sunday after Sunday. We have folks coming in. Last week, we had about 30 people in an overflow room, and we're in the middle of the summer, so we're looking forward to what God has for us for the fall. We're going to be bringing you some information a little bit later of how we're going to um, be adjusting and making arrangements to um, satisfy the crowds that are coming and facilitate those, and we'll be helping you with some information that in the days ahead. Um, just, a, just a little program note for you. Um, my wife and I are taking a group from the church uh, to the Holy Land in March, and we've got 30 people who have signed up, committed to go, and we've got about 10 slots left. So if you're interested in going to the Holy Land with a group of folks from our church in March, we have some brochures out in the Welcome Center out in the front. Please pick up one at the connections table and has all the information you can find on that. And with just a couple of slots left, just want to give you an opportunity to participate in that as well. Uh, We're going to be finishing this series, Summer on the Mount, in the next couple of weeks. And then in August, we're going into a series called The Elephant in the Room. And we're going to be dealing with a lot of controversial topics of our culture, but really topics that many Christians don't want to talk about because of being fearful of being condemned, counseled, criticized. So we want to look at some of the major issues of our culture and look from a biblical worldview of what God's word has to say about these issues. And that will be in the month of August. Have you ever had a time in your life where you misjudged someone Or you yourself have been misjudged by anybody. Anybody here that I'm not making the separation between the two. You can raise your hand and be safe in any of those. All of us have done that. And there are times in our lives where we measure people up. We even measure their motives without even knowing their hearts. We try to figure out what they're thinking without knowing their minds. And as a result, many times we can be wrong in our judgments. I was reading about a lady who was on her way to work one Tuesday morning, and she always stopped at the same coffee shop. She'd get her skinny, tall vanilla latte. And on that morning, she was standing in line, and she saw that there were some oatmeal cookies that were wrapped in cellophane wrapping. And she thought, you know what? Two cookies there, perfect for breakfast. So she paid for her coffee. She paid for her cookies. And as she turned to look at the room, the place was full. All the little tables were taken with people or couples or individuals, but there was one of those community tables, you know what I'm talking about, people just kind of sit. And there was one spot left, and she sat down, and across from her was a man with his cup of coffee. And as she was putting all herself stuff on the table, she had her coffee, she looked up, and she was shocked by what she saw. The man had taken her cookies and began to open the cellophane wrapper. And she's just watching him and he breaks off a piece and puts it in her mouth. She said, the nerve of him. She reaches and she grabs that cellophane wrapper and pulls it back to herself, breaks off a piece, puts it in her mouth. He kind of smiles. He slowly reaches back, pulls the cellophane back to him, breaks off another piece of cookie, puts it in her mouth. Well, his mouth, not hers. But (laughs) she grabs it, pulls it back, breaks off one. And then he does the same thing again. And she stands up. She said, fine, you want the cookies? They're yours. And she storms out. 
She's walking to her car and she's thinking, I have never encountered such arrogance and boldness in my life. And she reached in her purse to get her keys and she found her cookies. (laughs) Aren't you glad you weren't her? (laughs) But you know, we all have a little bit of that in us. One person put it this way. He says, most of us are umpires at heart. We like to call balls and strikes on somebody else. Isn't that true? We love to umpire other people's lives. We love to measure up their lives. We love to look at the the faults and the problems that they have. And we like to put ourselves in the position of being righteous judges. But most of the time we get it wrong. When we come to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is addressing that very issue in the culture of the Jews. He's constantly through this Sermon on the Mount in chapters 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew. What is he dealing with? He's dealing with these self-righteous scribes and religious leaders and Pharisees. Because the Pharisees and religious leaders in that day had set themselves up as the elite spiritual people of the culture. They had created their own man-made systems, their own set of rules. And if you didn't follow those, then they would look down on you in self-righteousness and criticism and judge you. In fact, the religious leaders had 613 laws or rules built around the Ten Commandments. It sounds a little obsessive, doesn't it? But 613, and they constantly looked at everybody else's life. And here's what they began to do. They began to put their own man-made traditions above the authority of God's word. And what they would do is they would watch the people's lives and if they didn't measure up to what they thought, they were ruthless, they were unkind, they were unmerciful, they were unholy, they lacked compassion and they judged people to the point of putting them on the lowest tiers of culture. Jesus confronts them. He says, you have nullified the word of God for your own traditions. And Jesus is dealing with this in this topic, in in this chapter. In in Matthew chapter 7, and if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open there. Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 12, Jesus is speaking about our need for godly discernment. Particularly when we're dealing with one another in culture. And that we need to be really sensitive to this. And in this passage, Jesus will give us three action steps with respect to discernment for our lives. But Jesus is setting up the scene for us and helping us to see that just as he is condemning the self-righteousness of these Pharisees and these scribes 2,000 years ago, when we read this passage, he is speaking to us, even us, today. So if you have your Bibles... Look at Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 1, we'll read all the way to verse 12. Matthew, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says these words. He says, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you seek the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. 
Do not give to dogs what is holy. And do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them under feet, underfoot, and turn to attack you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which of you, if he has a son who asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is inspired by your spirit, that it is true, it is authoritative for our life. And Father, today as we unpack these verses, that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts to make us more like Jesus. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So what is Jesus doing in this passage? In this passage, he's helping us to see our need for godly discernment in a number of areas in our lives. So he's going to tell us three things that we need to do. I'm going to give you those things. We're going to unpack it, and then we're going to make some practical applications. Here's the first thing Jesus says. He calls us to practice godly discernment in all relationships in our lives. When we're dealing with people, we really need to have the right discernment of God because if we don't, we have the tendency of our own flesh to misjudge people, to misappropriate motives and thoughts and actions. So no matter what situation we're in, Jesus says, you need to walk with godly discernment. And where does he begin? He begins at verse one. He says, judge not that you be not judged. Judge not that you be not judged. Now let me just say something. How many of you have heard people say that? Judge not or you'll be judged, huh? This is America's favorite verse. America loves this Bible verse. And America is not ashamed, and our culture is not ashamed to give credit to Jesus for saying this. They love to say this, judge not, least you be judged. Judge not, least you be judged. And by America using this verse all the time, here's what they're basically saying. They're saying if you judge others or you criticize other people's lifestyles, or the way that they live, then you are in violation to the words of Jesus himself. And if you judge anybody or criticize or make any kind of spiritual assessments of people's life, you are violating tolerance and temperance in culture. And you are standing in opposition to what Jesus is saying. And for a culture that does not hold to absolute truth, they love this verse because in it, all things are allowed. The sad thing is, many churches and evangelicals have bought into this lie. Many evangelicals and Christians have thought, well, I can't judge. And as a result, what has happened to our own churches? We have opened the doors in the name of tolerance, in the name of inclusion, and because we don't want to be considered bigoted and closed-minded and, and unkind, we've let everything into the life of the church in our culture. So the creeds of the church have been exchanged for the creeds of culture. The Christian flag of the church has been exchanged for the cultural flags of our day. 
And then what we see is rather than walking on the truth of convictions, we surrender our convictions because of the comfort that if they like us, maybe they'll like Jesus. And as a result, we're no longer able to discern what is right, what is holy, and the church has too often become like the culture. So what is Jesus not saying in this verse? Let me give you three things Jesus is not saying. When he says, judge not or you'll be judged, the first thing he's not saying is this. Jesus is not saying that we're to suspend our critical thought in moral and social matters. He's not saying check your brains at the door. Jesus is not saying that we cannot critically think through the circumstances of our culture and the matters of our lives to be able to think rightly. The entire Sermon on the Mount is about that. The entire Sermon on the Mount is a distinction between light and darkness, spiritual truth and spiritual falsehood. Those who are true believers and those who are not true believers. Matter of fact, you're not going to find a more controversial, critical sermon that Jesus ever preached than the Sermon on the Mount. And in, later in this chapter, he's going to tell his disciples to watch out for false teachers. How can you discern false teachers without critical judgment? You cannot. So Jesus is not saying that we are to suspend our critical thoughts of what's happening in the culture. He's not saying that. The second thing he's not saying is he's not saying we're to be silent in matters of cultural shifts or corporate sins or spiritual decline. The world wants the church to be silent. The world tells us that if, if you speak against any issues of culture, then you're becoming a social troublemaker and you're intolerant and you're contrary to the very teaching of Jesus himself. <laughs> If we speak against certain things, we're labeled. We're called homophobe and transphobe if we speak about the truth of God's word with gender and sexuality. We're called white supremacist if we oppose any kind of critical theory that creates racism in our culture. We're called QAnon or conspiracy theorist if we deal rightly with the perversion that is in our culture. In fact, Jesus spoke very boldly. The prophets of the Old Testament spoke with great passion and yet very sometimes very controversial, but they spoke the truth of God's word. Go back and look at the reformers of the 16th century. And what did they do? These were men of great deep conviction and they were bold in pointing out sins of the culture and as a result, the great reformation came about. Rarely will there be changes in culture apart from any kind of strong, biblical, controversial preaching. And so he's saying, he's not saying be silent. Here's the third thing he's not saying. He's not saying that we should shun courts of law. Leo Tolstoy, who was a Russian novelist, actually thought Jesus was advocating to abolish all courts of law. And that's not what he's saying. So the thing we have to ask is this, what is Jesus saying? When Jesus is telling us that we're not to judge or will be judged, what is he really saying to us? He's speaking some truth that we need to understand that when we're walking with people and we need godly discernment, there are three things he tells us we're not to do. Number one, 
He says, don't judge others harshly. Don't judge others harshly. That's what he's talking about. In that verse, he says, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Here's what Jesus is saying in there. He's saying, be careful how you judge. Don't judge harshly. Don't judge without mercy. Don't judge without knowing all of the facts. Don't judge without grace. He's not saying that we are not to be able to point out specific areas and faults, but he says don't do it in a way that self-righteousness comes through you and you're elevated and everybody else is put down. And most of the time, if we're honest, when we judge, we don't have all the facts. I love what Solomon says. He says if one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and his shame. And so we need to be careful, which means this. That when we're living with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to be careful about how we judge and criticize one another. Uh, and, and we do it so easily. In Chuck Swindoll's book, The Grace Awakening, he tells a true story about a missionary compound that was located in Africa. And there were a number of families that were living in this missionary compound, and a new family moved in. They came from the United States. They were commissioned to go and work with the other brothers and sisters there on this compound. And as they moved in, they settled in their house and they invited all the other missionaries who had been there to their home. And they were having a meal together. And as all of the missionaries were in this home, they looked at the people's shelves in the, in the kitchen and they noticed there were several jars of peanut butter. And the other missionaries kind of started whispering to one another and this new couple thought, what's going on? And he said, we have to tell you that, that we're on the mission field and being on the mission field, there are certain sacrifices that we make and we give up certain luxuries. And we have all agreed as missionaries in this compound that none of us would eat peanut butter. And the reason we would not eat peanut butter is it's a luxury and we are sacrificing our luxury for this. So we want to encourage you that if you're going to live in this compound, please discard all of your peanut butter and eat no more peanut butter from this point. And the couple started laughing. They said, are, are you serious? They said, we are dead serious. And the man said, listen, eating peanut butter is not a sin. And I refuse to give up my peanut butter for your silly rules. As a result, the rest of the missionaries shunned them to the point that that family had to leave and go home. Now you might think, that's so silly. I would never do anything like that. Yet how many times do we judge one another too harshly and criticize over the silliest things? We do it over music. Think about it. Oh, they listen to that kind of music? I can't believe it. They call themselves a Christian? And sometimes we do it with the different music? Oh, they're, they, they listen to that rock music. Oh, they listen to that country music. Or oh, they listen to that rap music. Or oh, they listen to all these different styles of music. Music is not sinful. The contents of the lyrics are what's important and can be sinful. That's what we've got to focus on. And sometimes we judge one another by that. Here's another one with the use of alcohol. Some people have the freedom to drink. Some people have the freedom not to use alcohol. There are no prohibitions in scripture that says you cannot drink, only warnings. So what happens? We falsely judge one another by the use of alcohol. Can you believe that they're drinking? They must have a drinking problem. Or how about this one? They don't want to drink. They must have a drinking problem. <laughs> and so what do we do? 
We falsely judge one another based upon things that are not true issues. We judge one another by the way we raise our children, by which schools they go to, what neighborhood they live in, what kind of car they drive, how much money they have, how much they don't. And you know what we end up doing is we become Pharisees of one another. He says, don't judge harshly. Now, here's the other thing we do. We might do that within the church, but we do it outside of the church too, don't we? We look at people's lifestyles that are different than ours, and what do we do? We immediately condemn them. We immediately want to put them down, and we're very harsh. We're self-righteous, and here's what we forget, that every person lives out of the condition of their heart. If they're lost, they're going to live like lost people. Their need is the gospel, and the prerequisite of being a believer is to have been an unbeliever. The prerequisite of being justified is to have been condemned. The prerequisite of being a Christian is to have been a non-Christian. We all start over here, and it's only the grace of God that brings us into a relationship with himself. And when we judge harshly a fallen world, and we forget that we would be just like them without the grace of God, we become so self-righteous. And we will never reach them. You see, it's one thing for you and me to notice the reality of sin. It's another thing to extend the grace of Jesus of what they need the most. So the first thing Jesus is saying here is he's saying, now, do not judge others harshly. But here's the second thing he's saying. Don't judge others hypocritically. Oh, I love this one. Don't judge one another hypocritically. Look at verses three through five. I love this illustration. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, there's a difference here. There's a comparison. It's almost comical the way Jesus sets it up. He talks about the speck in a brother's eye or a sister's eye. The speck is not just simply a piece of dust. It actually is a splinter. And a splinter is very harmful to anyone who has it in their eye. It can lead to infection and actually the loss of an eye. So there is a serious nature about the splinter in the eye. But what Jesus is saying is this. You've got a person that has a splinter in their eye, but you've got a redwood tree growing out of your face. (laughs) And you don't even see that. And what Jesus is saying here is, listen, I'm not saying you should not help your brother or sister. You should not, it's not that you should not point out the faults or the failures in their life, but before you ever do that, examine your own heart. Where are you in the midst of all of this? Where are you? I love the way David puts it in Psalm 51. He says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Notice where he starts. He starts with himself. Me, me, me. Then in verse 13, then... I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. 
This is brilliant what Jesus says. He says, before you ever criticize someone else and before you ever correct them, let their faults be a reminder to you that you have your own. And before you ever say a word, examine your own heart. We can all be hypocrites, can't we? I can. I was driving down the interstate in Atlanta. <clears throat> and I'll tell you what I'm amazed at, how driving can sanctify your life. I'm driving in Atlanta and things are crazy in Atlanta and I've got to get off and it's got this lane that says exit only and so I'm in line and I'm watching all these people driving on the shoulder and they know what they're doing. They're going as far down as they can and they're going to cut over. So you know what I do? Man, I'm like bumper to bumper. You ain't getting in. You ain't getting in. Uh-uh, uh-uh. I know what you're doing. Uh-uh. You are not getting in. How many of you are like that? Come on, be honest. Am I the only sinner in this room? And so you're like keeping everybody from cutting in and you're just bumper, bumper, bumper and, and you won't even look at them. <laughs> and they're waving at you. Mm, I don't see you. I don't see you. And you're going along and you are dogged that you're not going to let them in. Why? Because you're doing what's right. They're cutting in on you. I showed them. <laughs> this week I'm driving down Porter's Neck. I'm coming to Scotts Hill. You all know that pattern. If you're in the right lane, you come to Scotts Hill. If you're in the left lane, you get on the bypass. And the line was really long in that right lane. So I got in that left lane. And I'm like, the DOT would appreciate this right now, right? And so I'm going as fast as I can. There's this little lady over here on the side, and she's an elderly lady. And I'm thinking, I'm going to beat her. There ain't no problem. Man, I couldn't only catch her when the light turned green. Boom. And what did I do? Man, I'm floored and I cut over and she's blowing a horn at me. And then all of a sudden it's like, you hypocrite. You hypocrite. Isn't it easy? It's so easy for us to judge others. And then the things that we judge them on, listen, we condemn ourselves. And Jesus says, listen, don't be judge others harshly. Don't judge others hypocritically. Here's the third thing he says. Don't continue to invest in those who demonstrate a hardened contempt of God. Now this thing blows us away that Jesus would say this. He's telling us that be careful. Don't keep going after someone who hates God. This is how he puts it in verse six. He says, do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Now, before we can understand this, we need to understand who the dogs and the hogs are, okay? The dogs in this culture were wild scavengers, diseased, disgusted animals. People did not have dogs as pets. They didn't have little bows in their hair and their little beds that they lied in at night. They didn't want blow dried. No, they lived wild, vicious lives. They were scavengers and people hated these dogs. They were despised and they would attack you. The hogs were the same. Jews, the epitome of uncleanness was hogs, pigs. And no good Jew would ever domesticate a pig because it was just something you wouldn't do. 
Because the pigs, too, were scavengers. They were, lived on the outside, the outskirts of town. They lived in the garbage heaps, and they would root, and they would pull up all the trash of the culture, and people hated them. Now, what's holy and what's good are important things. The things that were holy in this culture, were they considered food. Sacrifice to God was holy or food for your family. No man would take the food for his family and throw it to a scavenger's dog. No person would take something as valuable as a pearl and throw it to a hog. Why? Because they would both trample it and they would turn on you. So what is Jesus saying? Here's what he's saying. The hogs and the dogs are those individuals who have heard the gospel over and over and over. What is holy and what is valuable is the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are times when people are going to be antagonistic towards the gospel. They're going to hate the claims of the gospel. They're not going to want to hear the truth of God's word. And for you to give that to them is to throw it under their feet for them to blaspheme it and trample it. And Jesus is saying there are times when you need to speak to people, but there are times when you don't. Matter of fact, Solomon writes, don't reprove a scoffer. He will hate you. Reprove a wise man, he will love you. Paul writes this in Titus. He says, as for a person who stirs up the vision after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. And we might think, well, should we condemn people by not sharing the gospel? No. People who hate Jesus, who hate the good news, who hate the things of God are already self-condemned. And so there's a time when we talk. And there's a time when we don't. And Jesus says, listen, when you're living in this world, you need godly discernment in how to deal with people. So here's the first point. He calls us to practice godly discernment in our relationships. But here's the second thing he teaches us. He calls us to pursue godly discernment through prayer. So I need to practice discernment with people. I need to pursue discernment through my prayer. Now, a lot of people, when they come to this prayer that Jesus inserts in the middle of this, they think he's changing the subject. They say, now, wait a minute. He's been talking about not judging people harshly. Then all of a sudden, now he's talking about prayer, and it's a different topic. No, they're the same topic. Because what he's doing in this passage, he's saying, listen, if you're going to get need, if you're going to act with discernment among people, you need wisdom in that discernment. So this prayer in its context It's not to be pulled out and to put in situations for maybe just issues that I want in my life. And many people have pulled this prayer out of the context and they use it for a name it and claim it philosophy or prosperity gospel. That is not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking about praying with relation to discernment. Here's how he puts it. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask? In this prayer, there are three things about asking for godly discernment that we need to understand. First is the practice. What is the practice? Here's how he puts it. He says, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open. 
All of these are commands. They're in imperative voice, but they're in present tense. So it's, it would read like this in the Greek. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. Asking is for advice. Seeking is for application. Knocking is for a presence of God in your life. It's an audience with God. And he's saying this, when you're in times where you need discernment, you ask. Then you start seeking, looking into God's word. And then you knock on the door and ask for an audience from God himself to give you wisdom with relation to discernment and dealing with people and circumstances in your life. In other words, you're pursuing kingdom mindedness. But there's a second thing. Not only is there a practice, there's a promise here. Notice what he says. He says, for everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks, it will be open. The promise is this. If you're seeking after kingdom-minded principles in your life, your prayers will be answered. But if you're seeking for self-centeredness in your life, you have no confidence of knowing that your prayers are answered. Because when you pursue the things of God and you're pursuing kingdom-mindedness and you're asking God, how do I have a godly discernment in dealing with these situations? God is honored to answer your prayer because you're seeking after the things of his own heart. But not only is there a practice and a promise, third thing is there's a parental response. Man, I love this. He puts it in a context of a parent. He says, of which of you, if he has a son and asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask? Jesus taught more about the fatherhood of God than anyone else in Scripture. The word he uses is in the Aramaic, it's Abba, it means daddy, daddy. And the Jews were so uncomfortable using that because they could not conceive that the God of the universe could be their spiritual daddy. But here's the point. The point that he's making is this. If good, if fathers who have an evil desire, which means this, it doesn't mean that they're wicked and they're evil. If they have a sinful nature and they desire to give good things to their children, much more your heavenly father wants to give to you the things that are good. Here's a point that Jesus is making in this. God who is a good father will never give to his children something that will ultimately harm them. Never. You can ask for something till you're blue in the face. And if it is not for your well-being and your good, your heavenly father will not give it to you. When we think about our own children and our children come to us and they want something and we know as a parent that we know much more than they know, we see much more than they see, our perspective is much deeper than theirs and we tell them no and they whine and they cry, they don't understand, but because of our life experience, we know that if we give that to them, that will hurt them. The same thing with your heavenly father. And he's calling you to pursue him for matters of discernment and he will give you what you need, but he will never give you anything that will ever harm you, never. And he will answer your prayers when it comes to issues of discernment. So the two things that Jesus has taught us so far, he says that we're to practice godly discernment in all relationships. We are to, he calls us to pursue godly discernment through a healthy prayer life. And here's the third thing, and he concludes with this. He calls us to prioritize kingdom principles for the sake of others. We are to prioritize kingdom principles 
and we're to put others first. This is where he ties all of this together where it makes such sense to us. It's what we call the golden rule in verse 12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. This is called the golden rule. A lot of critics of scripture and critics of Jesus and critics of the gospel would say, this was not original with Jesus. This was not original to the disciples and they would be right. This proverb had been around centuries before Jesus even showed up on the scene. But the difference is this, all of those philosophers and writers and kings and wise men who used this always used it in the negative sense. And it was always pretty much the same way. If you don't want harm come to you, then don't harm others. It was always in the negative. If you don't want any difficulties to come to you, don't create difficulties for others. So it's always self-centered when other people use this. It was always about their own. Hey, man, if you, if you want to get ahead, you need to do these things. But Jesus flips it around and he puts it in the positive. And rather than to focus on yourself, it becomes a focus on other people. He says, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Of all the laws, of all the things, he says it really comes down to this, love God and love others. That's the law and the prophets. And here's what Jesus is doing in this passage that's so brilliant. When he puts it this way, he's really saying this, the compulsions towards self can now be viewed as the promptings of the Holy Spirit to serve and to love others. In other words, our selfish promptings that come up can be a reminder to the Holy Spirit that the things that we want most, we should do for others first. And every time I have a thought of putting myself first is the opportunity for the Holy Spirit to turn that around and say, let's do it to others first. Let me give you an illustration. You drive out here every week. You drive in our big parking lot. We don't have much shade in the parking lot. And when you park in that big parking lot and you've been here for an hour, hour and a half, maybe two hours, when you leave here because of our summer heat and the humidity, you know what it's like when you open the door of that car. All the heat comes out of it. You almost like burp your car before you get in it, you know? And you're not gonna put your kids in there because it's too hot. And so you open the door, it's so hot, you try to run air, you get in it, you're miserable. And then you think, man, if I get there early, I can park between the two buildings where there's shade. I can find the right parking spot so when I leave the church, I won't have to burp the car, I can get in there, it'll be nice and cool, and I can drive away. Now, most of you will never do that. Because most, a lot of you, our service starts at 9.15, but you come to the 9.30 service. Uh, and you don't even know how we start. <laughs> but if some of you are thinking, I'm gonna get there early, I'm gonna park, here's where the Holy Spirit takes the golden rule and turns it around. Oh yeah, you wanna be early there to park? What if you let somebody else have that? What if you just parked in the grass so others would not? 
And we do this all the time. Oh, I just wish somebody would call me. Mm, Why don't you call someone? I wish somebody would speak to me today a word of encouragement. Mm, Why don't you speak a word of encouragement? You know, I really wish that they would do this. Mm, Why don't you do that? I hadn't heard a single amen yet. He's parked in the shade. This is quickly getting away from me. But you see the picture that Jesus is making? In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, he says, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good deeds. Let me tie this together for us. If you and I lived with kingdom principles in such a way that we're always putting others first, we would not judge others harshly. If you and I were living with biblical kingdom principles where we put others first, we would walk carefully with our own lives. We would not condemn a culture that's already condemned, but we would tell them about their greatest need. And if we were living kingdom principles where we put other people first, then we would be constantly seeking God himself for how to love them, how to walk with them rightly, and how to encourage them. That's kingdom living. And so here's my challenge for you this week. It is so easy for us to see the flaws in our spouses in our kids, in our neighbors, in our coworkers. And every time we are tempted to point them out, let the Holy Spirit point out to you the log that may be in your eye. It may be that God is calling you to confront something in somebody else's life. Jesus is not saying we should not, but what he is saying is that before we do that, What's in my own heart? And if I'm going to walk in the character of Jesus, then I'm going to walk in a way where I'm going to be more critical of my own life than I am of others. And I'm going to be more gracious towards others than I am to myself. That's kingdom principles. It doesn't mean that we don't confront sin. We don't call sin what it is. We do it with wisdom and discernment and the very love and the compassion of Jesus Christ. Not talking about sin is not love. It's hatred. Talking about sin in a way that is meant to build others up and to encourage them and lead them to a relationship with Christ is love. But we do it with discernment from God, from his word, and from his spirit. So here's my challenge to all of us. Is as we go, let's not be Pharisees this week. Let's be kingdom people who live the principles of the gospel in such a way that we're distinctively different from the world and people would say, why are you so different? Let me tell you about Jesus, what he's done for me and what he can do for you. That's 
kingdom living. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I pray, Father, that we would be known as a people who love Jesus and love others. But Father, not at the point of surrendering biblical distinctiveness. May we live godly lives that are distinctly different from the world. Father, may we teach biblical principles in a worldview that's distinctively different from culture. But at the same time, Father, rather than us coming with a jaundiced eye and pointing fingers and condemning unmerciful people, may we constantly be reminded that it's only by your grace is we are where we are. And I ask, Father, that you enable us to be people of kingdom-mindedness and to seek your discernment for people, for prayer, for priorities, that we might walk in a way that honors you. Father, if there are those here this morning that are without Christ, this is a good time for them to be here, to be able to hear what Jesus meant and what he didn't mean. And I pray, Father, that they would consider the claims of Christ and that they would consider seeking and studying more and that your spirit would open their minds and their hearts and draw them, that they would know you as their heavenly father and Jesus as their savior and the Holy Spirit as their comforter. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. And we hope that God uses this message in you to transform you more into the image of Christ. If you have any questions about our church or you want to learn more about Jesus, visit our website at scottshill.org slash next steps. Till next time.